everybody. We are back. Welcome to another episode of More Than a Title. I'm your host, Jared Thomas, as usual. Um, and I've got a special, special episode lined up for you guys. So for those first-time listeners, just want to give you a quick rundown of what the show premise is. So it's More Than a Title. And I wanted to create a show that is really different from all the other marketing shows that you hear. Like, I hear all technical tactics and what to do. And, and it's all good. And shout out to everybody that's creating content. But I always felt there's more lessons in the journey. It's more lessons in the story and knowing what you overcame to get to where you are today. And that's what I want to do. And that's what I want to get inspired by. So I have a special, special guest today. She has over 20 plus years of experience in marketing. She is also she's the definition of more than a title. I'm gonna give her keep it real with you guys. So a mom, wife, a cancer survivor. She's a marketer, creative seller, content strategist, you name it, like, and all the above. And I had the pleasure of meeting this young lady through sales conversations. And then she just was an absolute pleasure to work with. And I just needed to have her on the show. And I'm so grateful to have you. So everybody, let's introduce our guest, CRO Ruby, Rebecca Grimes. How are you? Hi. Oh gosh. What a, what a powerful 20 years plus young lady all at the same time. Thank you. That was impressive. I appreciate it. <laughs> Season. We call, we call it experience. Nothing. There's no age here. <laughs> but we uh, really do appreciate you, Rebecca. You know, this is all about you today. And like I said, I, once I read your LinkedIn bio, I was like, holy crap. Like I, I was so amazed and I just wanted to know more about you and just wanted to have this conversation. So if you want to let, let's just start at the top. Like, so first of all, the, the 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 reporter job at the police station, like that that was wild. I've never seen that one coming. So could you tell us, like, walk us through, you know, how you got in, you know, maybe after college and kind of led into your role and, and kind of give us your history? Yeah, you, you know, I had a I had a high school teacher that took an interest in my writing, and she suggested that I go to a conference in D.C. Um, mm -hmm. where I explore journalism. And so Great. I did that. I fell in love went to college for journalism, despite my father saying, are you sure you want to do this? I said, yeah, I, I absolutely want to do this. I worked at the newspaper, was editor-in-chief, and when I graduated, I was contacted by a, um, a newspaper, the Times Press, who had judged the work in the Illinois College Press Association and reached out to the school, got my contact information. I was so flattered. I was like, oh my gosh, they must really want me. And yeah. so it was either Dog World Magazine, which was the other job offer I had in play here, or this newspaper being a police crime reporter. And so I, I took the job. I moved to the middle, middle of nowhere in central Illinois. And I was maybe a week on the job and there was a murder. And I was like, what? Like, I thought yeah. I would just be covering, you know, like small little petty things here in this town. And yeah. um, I was naive. This is like before the internet was really a big thing. So I couldn't research a lot of, you know, what I was going to get myself into. And so they're like, we're going to need you to go, like, go to the police station, figure out what's going on, go to the crime scene, figure that out. The next day I had to go to a funeral and start talking okay. to the people that were like at the funeral home, making arrangements. Then I actually attended the funeral and I had a, um, I, you know, I, I was just immersed in this very mature relationship that I had to establish with the police department and the state's attorney and the public defender's office and all of these victims and the defendant's family. And, and it, it just was this very humbling experience where I had to learn very quickly how to be empathetic active listening skills, when to, um, when to probe for discovery of questions so that I could pull more out of them, yes. how to build a trusting relationship with another human when they're in their like most vulnerable time. And it was, mm. it was like this, this intense 11 months of this like leadership boot camp that I didn't even know I was in the middle of until I was on the other side of seven murder trials 
that, you know, span the gamut of like really, you know, sad inner family violence all the way through drug deals gone bad. And it was just everything in between. And um, it just, I grew up so fast in that, in the, in that 11 months, but I made 922 an hour. I will never forget that. I made 922 wow. an hour. And I was like, I can't even fix my car. Like my car needs new brakes and I don't even have money to fix my car and I'm working seven days a week. And I was like, what did I just get myself into? And so I, um, I started applying for jobs and I leaned on my marketing undergrad, which were classes that you had to take as part of your journalism curriculum. And um, I remember being in the, the job interview for what would eventually become my next role after being a reporter. And they sat me in front of a computer with Microsoft Office. And I was like, I've never even touched this. Like I've never touched this. Like all of our journalism was like, you know, page maker. Like it was just design programs and just like free text form. They were like, build this PowerPoint slide. And I was like, I got this. And I totally like, I don't know how I passed to that test, but I did, they hired me. Um, and that was the beginning of my brief time as a police reporter and then quick transition out of that. So that that is an amazing story. The first lesson I, I, I'll be on the first lesson I caught up that first of a shout out to your high school teacher for seeing oh. the vision and believing in you and steering you towards that path. You know, obviously, as you know, we're 18 years old, we're trying to figure out the world and everything else. And then you go into this profession and then you're like, you're put into that boot camp. So I understand why you're a seller and marketer. Yeah. Like it makes so much sense now what you, what you, what you explained it. Like for, oh, so for anybody who's looking to be a journalist or, or in that profession, right? How do you determine what to write about and what specific, you know, like you said, with the defendant's family, you've got the victim's family. How do you know, how do you filter out what to put in to make a great story? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, it, it it's not unlike what you, you know, you pragmatically look at what you have in front of you and what is the story that the information is telling you. And so, you know, yeah. in the one situation, it was this very sad domestic situation where there was a um, you know, a young mother and husband involved and a two and a half month old that tragically um, was murdered. And the claim was, you know, rolled off the rolled off the couch onto the floor, cracked the skull. And it was just like the evidence wasn't supporting that. But that was the defense. And, um, you know, and, you know, you you had a, a parent of that that young man that was like this you know, this is my child, too. Like, I stand beside my child. And it was just this, like, one example of this very tragic situation that you had to be objective and present information in the way that allowed people to understand what happened. It was, you know, it, it, that story in particular just really, like, rocks you to your core um, yeah. when you think about how tragic of a situation um, that is. But, you know, these these are these are families that are entrusting you to tell their story and not sensationalize what happened. And exactly. I think, you know, this is, you know, 25 plus years ago, you know, I think that, you know, journalism has definitely evolved since then. Um, but, you know, at its core, you know, storytelling in a way that um, that is factual and represents both sides equally, even if you have biases and you don't agree with what, um, what you have to write about, you still have to present yeah. that in a way that helps people understand um, with clarity, kind of what that story is. And I think that massively, you know, translates into our responsibility as sales and marketers and customer success professionals. Like that is what our job is, is to present facts, advocate yeah. for what makes the most sense in that situation for that business or that opportunity or that individual. And so 
again, I had no idea at the time, I wouldn't change anything um, in that career, except nobody came and visited me. Everybody was terrified. They're like, what is going on? We're not, none of my college friends came and visited me in my little apartment with my dog. Um, but it was, uh, it was such an important time that just set a trajectory for me that I didn't even appreciate in the moment. Yeah, that it's just a, it, it's first of all, what you said spoke a lot to your character, right? Because that's a you, you you nailed it. That's a big responsibility, right? To be able to tell someone's story through the lens and really not knowing the truth and just the information that's been presented to you, right? And it's kind of like similar to like you said, journalism has changed today. And the problem with journalism today is that we it's the clickbait, right? So regardless of the sensationalism of certain stories and and certain topics, and it's like, how do you get to what is the truth and the misinformation? Where is there any? Did you see some of that back then where it was like, hey, we need the stories or was it more so like just put the best story out? No, I mean, I know I'm aging myself, but like there wasn't clickbait. Like that wasn't a thing. We were printing papers and people were getting those thrown on their doorsteps every day. So for us, it was about readership and um, circulation numbers. But, you know, at the, you know, at, at, at even like the the hardest moments, my editor and I were just having like the headline obviously is the hardest thing to write. Um, you want people to get pulled in, but you obviously have to be objective and neutral. And, um, and so that, you know, that was one of those, you know, through a very period, you know, of 11 months, like navigating each one of the different um, trials that I was involved with. It was, you know, what is, what is the way that we're going to communicate what is happening and the update throughout the days of the trial, the, you know, daily newspaper. Um, and again, you know, it, it, it was much more true to storytelling in terms of facts um, than it was about, uh, you know, wanting to pull people in. And, you know, obviously it was like a smaller community. So everybody kind of knew everything. Um, and so it was a matter of making sure that rumors were clarified in print as to facts of what was actually happening. That makes sense. Because you already had the audience. You had, you basically yep. had that market. That was it. Yep. It was like, hey, we have circulation. We have engagement. We don't have to do too much. And all yep. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's an art and science to that. And that's why I'm so intrigued by journalism. The art and science, the same thing with copywriting, same thing with content. Like, it's all in the same area. So I, I love that. And I'm curious, like, is there, was there something, because I, I could imagine you've seen so much, and was there a part of you that was like, man, I want to do this on a bigger scale? So kind of what, what led you into marketing and what made you to make that transition? You know, I, 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 have, I have a dear friend of mine that I worked with at the newspaper that works for the Chicago Tribune. And... I am in awe of the work that he does. And um, there is always a journalist that sits in me deep and that's, you know, it yeah. translates into the storytelling and the marketing that we do. Um, yeah. But, uh, but you know, at the time, like for me, just financially, I didn't see, I had this like PowerPoint printout from my college that was like, at most you're gonna make $23,000 in this. And I was like, wait, I what? was working for seven fifty an hour before, like, part-time jobs while I was in college and I only made like a dollar seventy more after graduating magna cum laude like what just what did I just do and so at the time it was financially motivated but I did figure out how to transition the passion that I had for that into the work that I was you know set on a journey to do for the rest of my career so Love it. Love it. So so, so tell us about the transition a bit. So so once you, yeah. you left being a reporter, um, you went to your first marketing job. So how what are some of the things that help you prepare to be successful in those roles? And then we'll, we'll get into the journey into where you are now. Yeah. So I um, I was part of a 12 person proposal team. And so we were writing proposals and responding to enterprise RFPs for an enterprise sales team at ServiceMaster. And this is back in the day where like you had to print out, bind, 
ship and get delivered on time RFPs for massive multi-million dollar multi-year contracts. And so it was about packaging and storytelling on differentiation of why our services were different and better um, and quality different than our competitors that they were also being considered in that bid process. And so I made relationships very quickly with the sales team because I had their best interest in heart. I was supporting them in the creation of all of their content. And um, and I very quickly like went right into efficiency mode and we were all like using different templates. And I was like, well, I don't know why we're all using different, like let's write one book of copy and have a repository. And I mean, arguably like this was, you know, still early days of, you know, tools being created for, um, for the business world. And so, you know, it was, it was every person doing their own thing, but I was delivering the most successful win rate across the team and getting my hundred dollar bonuses every time we sold a deal, which, you know, at the time, wow, that was, that was insane to me, um, that I was getting those hundred dollar bonuses for closing deals alongside the sales team member. Um, but uh, you know, it just, it just helped me. And again, you know, there are several very pivotal moments in my career where, somebody um, did something that influenced me to my core. And mm-hmm. there was this there was this SVP within the organization who caught my attention, like I caught his attention and he said, I'm gonna give you a book every month. We'll sit down and have lunch together once a month. And if you've read that book, I'll give you another book. Like if you come prepared to have a meaningful business conversation with me, I'll give you another book. And, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a young kid, you know, just figuring out how to do what I'm doing. And that relationship went on for many, many months until there was an opportunity to join another team to move out of this kind of sales operational role that I was supporting into the marketing communications team for corporate communications. Mm -hmm. And he dropped my name for consideration for that role. And uh, I, you know, he, he made a deal with me and I kept at my end of the bargain and he kept up his end of the bargain. And again, they're just, I don't, I don't think that leaders fully grasp the ripple influence that they have when they do small tokens of paying attention to up and coming young future rock stars on their team and how, how that just leaves this permanent um, impression. And, And I would argue that I am only the leader I am today because of the amazing leaders that I've had the opportunity to observe and learn from and work for, but also some of the not so great leaders that I'm like, that taught me exactly what I do not want to do with my team. And so, um, you know, I, there are just these very pivotal moments, but I will never forget the um, the interest that Chris took in me and how that, you know, pretty much now opened a, a new a new door for me in in a very big way where I was eventually like flying on the private jet for the company with our CEO to, you know, a shareholder meeting and script writing with the team. And I was like, what? How? What? How? What? <laughs> like this? This is my life right now? Okay. I got, yeah, nobody, I, you know, and so, it, you know, it just, again, it just set a trajectory based on that. And that ripple effect would lead to my next company where somebody I met through there worked at another company. And it just was this, um, it was just these doors that kept opening for me, but not for lack of me also doing the work to help open those doors and then making sure I was always paying it forward and back um, in, in big ways so that, um, so that eventually people would want to you know, have me open doors for them and follow me along my journey as well, like I did with others in my career. So important. So important. So first of all, shout out to the SVP. 
for doing that. <laughs> like you, you, you nailed it, right? Like I me early in my career, and I'll be honest with you, Becca. Like early in my career, I didn't value mentorships. Like to be honest, like, I didn't have anybody, and that's why I kind of am the way I am, and that's why I went to create the show. Like when I was 22 years old, starting in sales, I felt there was nobody that looked like me. It was nobody. It was no representation. I just like. I'm like the only guy there and I'm like, I'm hip hop. I've got to change my stuff. I got to wear my, my, my Catholic school outfit to the office. I don't know how to dress. I don't know what to do. And it was just like, what? I had to figure it out as I went. And not only until three years ago, um, I had somebody, Ken Gibbs, a shout out to Ken. He's my mentor now, one of my best friends, right? So he was the VP at, at uh, BET. I'm at a conference and I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, but I got, I got to meet him. Like he's on stage. That's what I want to do. I don't even know what he's doing, but he's moderating a great conversation. And I would love to know how to get there. So I pulled him aside. Um, and then he's just like, you know, kind of brushed me off. I got to go to another meeting. Just hit me up on LinkedIn. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to hit him up on LinkedIn. And then six months went by. I kid you not. I just hit him with an automated happy birthday. Happened to be his birthday. And then he just hits me up and says, man, you get 30 minutes once a month. My executive assistant is going to reach out to you and put time on your calendar. I need your email. And I'm like, holy crap. So BT is my favorite channel. I'm hip hop. I'm this, that. Like, I have <laughs> told everybody and their mother about this. <laughs> like, oh I'm my talking to BT. Are you kidding me? Ah. And then it just what it did for me was like, what can't you do? If this person believes in me and the level of conversation we're having about business, marketing, you know, just personal relationships and what have you, it's like, I want to learn more. And that was my way of learning. I didn't go to college. And, and what I learned from these conversations means everything. And people like yourself, like this story right now, what I'm learning, you know what I mean? So it's so powerful. So any young professional listening right now is so much value in having a mentor, just somebody that believes in you because it does so much for your confidence. And like you said, and those relationships that you've garnered along the way, that's currency. And people don't, don't, a lot of people don't recognize that the relationships are currency. Like you need to, you need to have that. You need to have that opportunity. So yeah. So I would love to, to know more about, so I, first I love the story about the jet because I do want to ask you about that. <laughs> I've only been on a handful in my life and they were all work related. So, yeah, so all right. So what is ours? What is one thing? Hmm, what's one, one out of all, because you've got a lot of marketing experience. Is there one campaign or one story or one thing that you're truly, truly proud of that maybe that you haven't spoken about that you'd be willing to share with us? Like what was one? Maybe it was like a go-to-market strategy. Was it a new product? Was it um, mm. new content? Yeah. Like outperformed any expectation? And you're like, ah, I did it. <laughs> you know, um, I, I'll, I'll talk about um, you know my time when I was, you know, I joined an organization and they were in the middle of this kind of pivot. They were in this commodity space and they were trying to move up and be more of a solution services enterprise grade organization, but they were stuck in this commodity counting things um, situation. And I was brought in to kind of like help figure out what this pivot was. It was my time when I was at Vibes and uh, mobile, you know, marketing leader now. Um, but at the time it was like text to win, call in on the radio. And, um, and we got wind about mobile wallets. So on Apple mm -hmm. devices, a wallet that you could store things in. And we're like, well, we could store coupons in there. And so it became this, like, first we had to get, like, into the early pilot program. Like, we wanted to be one of the first ones figuring out alongside an airline that was going to put a ticket in there. Like, how could we, at scale, push content 
from an SMS message into the phone that would then allow us to send reminder notifications about this offer is expiring or using location services, you're walking by uh, a store and it would pop up and remind you, you have a coupon in your, in your wallet, um, you know, before you uh, move past that store. So like we, we saw this vision for how this was going to be a pretty big catalyst for change within um, just the way that consumers engaged with brands. And we put together um, a pilot program with our existing customers. And it was essentially you logged in and it was this pop up. And with curiosity, we created this really like fun, interactive way for them to learn more about this brand new technology that felt really kind of scary. But we got some incredibly big, amazing brands to join us on the pilot. And, you know, it was Apple's big conference. They were launching um, the wall, you know, the the mobile wallet and our logo was on stage. And I was like, you know, that like that moment with, you know, Tom Hanks where he's like, I did fire. Like, oh my (laughs) gosh, we, we did this. Like that, that, that was, that was one of those moments where like all of us collectively in product and tech and in the rest of the marketing team were like, oh my gosh, like we saw an opportunity, we reprioritized, capitalized on that so that we could be kind of part of a change. And then when Google came along and had their own version of the wallet, they reached out and were like, do you wanna be part of this? And I remember sitting in Google's headquarters and we were like teaching like them how we utilize that for brands in the way that the location services worked. And like, these are the differences between what you're building and what we have already optimized for performance on this side. and. Um, so, you know, wildly successful campaign that, um, that, you know, really materialized within a handful of months. It was just one of those things where we capitalize on an opportunity and, um, and it's, it's one of those, those top proud moments in my career. That, that is an amazing story. I have another <laughs> one though. I gotta give, I, I have to say another one because I can't, I can't no, not talk about that. Ruby. I cannot not talk about Ruby. Um, Ruby. <laughs> ah, so yeah. at the beginning of the pandemic, we had all of these small businesses. So Ruby provides receptionist services and chat services for small businesses. It's like at our core, we are all deeply passionate about these small businesses and how that builds thriving communities and creates diversity and jobs. And so we're all deeply passionate about this. I'm a handful of months into my new role at Ruby and the pandemic starts and all of these businesses were scrambling. They didn't know how to go remote. And um, I, I like I left everything in my office. I have a phone physically in my office and I don't even know how to get that phone to another destination because somebody's calling it and I can't physically go into my office because we're in shelter in place. And so the marketing team sat down and wanted to create what we called a business unusual campaign. And it was not about demand gen, it was about a toolkit for these small businesses that didn't know how to navigate applying for a loan, which meant that you had to have payroll documentation. And like, we just like started collaborating with all of these other experts to help create this campaign of content that again, was not about Ruby. It was about, these are the things you need to be thinking about and considering as you are potentially transitioning to permanent remote work at the time. And, um, and when I, when I tell you that, like, with an authentic way, it was, it was, it was, we are just going to go focus on small businesses in helping them right now. And then what happened as a result of that was, obviously, the leads followed, but it was never about the leads for us. It was always about 
they're panicking and they don't know what to do. And we're a trusted brand that small businesses seek out in this space. And we need to use that platform to do good. And, um, and so I, 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 I can't also not talk about that because it is, again, another one of those top campaigns for me that, um, that just uh, continues to, to make me smile about the goodness that we, we did at a really, a really hard time for small businesses. I, I love I love both those stories. I'm gonna tell you what I love about the first story, Rebecca. Okay. The first story I loved about it was your your willingness to go out and think outside the box, because you could have easily paid the safe route. And I think I see that, and I speak to so many marketers, and it's just we are what we are, especially in the B two B space. <laughs> like you put yeah. out the campaign, you you gate it, you get the leads, you get Jared to call you in 24 hours. Then we're doing MQLs, and all, it, it's no way to really. Tr- really know what the true journey is like. And you went on a limb and said, you know what, we're going to try something out the box and it worked and you hit a home run with it. So I love that. So that's the art and science of the marketing that I love. And then on part two, you nailed it again because people can sniff out, especially in a time like the pandemic, when it's a campaign versus authentic and we're really trying to help people. Right. And that's what works nowadays. Like we we can sniff out BS. We don't want to be a lead. I want to be viewed as a lead. And that's the reason why I stopped with the cold calling and the email and stuff, even though it's official and it's still very valuable. But my marketing brain thinks of the two meetings I get, Rebecca, what about the 998 people that think I'm a jerk? Right? So like, <laughs> what do you do about that? Like, I'm just Jared. And that's, that's what I think. And the fact that you help people and they saw that the information was valuable, regardless of what comes out. So if one person gets value out of this, it's a win. And that is your yeah. win. And then it got reciprocated because it actually was valuable. So that is marketing one-on-one people. For anybody listening, <laughs> that's how you do it. It's not all about the conversion. It's not. It, it's a long no, journey. And, and the content was ungated by design. Uh, that, you know, it wasn't about like, we know you're we're struggling, but give us your information before we yeah. give you this valuable content that we've curated specifically to help you. That that didn't make sense, and I think I think a lot of um, a lot of marketers over the last I would even say two years since the pandemic have really had to think about gating strategies in in yes. a different and new way. Content and consumption of content has changed in so many ways through the years, and you know these long form. 80 100 page you know books uh those 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 aren't a thing that that are digestible and that lead to creating any meaningful we all know this the research on your business has started way before they've engaged with an 80 page piece of content from you um and so you know putting things that matter in front of them and building a trusted relationship long before there's a business relationship established is really where I think that sales and marketing teams are getting it right. Yeah, absolutely. You nailed it. You nailed it. And I want to say a quote from Jake Dunlap. I don't know if you follow him. He's a good sales guy. He's CEO of Scale. He said something on, on Rankable one time. He said, and it reminded me of the e-books. He said, Jared, when was the last time you snuggled up by the fireplace with your e-book? had <laughs> 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 to look at him and think, I've never read an e-book. I don't, I, we don't do it. Like, it sounds good, yes. But like people just want the content when they want. We want what we want when we want it. And that's it. And if you don't have it, somebody else is going to give it to me somewhere. And I'm going to find yeah. it. So I love that. Aspect. And, but I would love to stay on this. So what would you tell to the to traditional marketers, right? So what do you tell the people who is like, well, if I don't gate it, how do I track the success and performance of my campaigns? How do I, how do I prove the value to somebody like yourself? Yeah. So um, engagement matters in a very material way. And so 
you know, as, as, as sales, you know, I, I started with big binders that we had to ship out that were proposals or RFP responses that this massive big FedEx box would arrive and they'd flip through hundreds of pages. I'm not even exaggerating hundreds of pages, like four inch binders are what we had on stock. And so when I think about you know, the, the journey and, and how sales continues to evolve and the way that marketing can support that is really understanding that journey from known to your company or discovers your company and thinking about what journey and experience do you want them to have. And um, trust and credibility matter so much right now in a buying cycle. And so when you start off out of the gate with this you know, like give, get, um, before you even establish any bit of credibility potentially with that buyer, you're, you're, you're creating friction right out of the gate. And so using things like progressive form fields. So like, okay, give me like a tiny little, maybe not like an identifier about you, but tell me what industry you're in before you consume this piece of content. So I at least know if it's resonating with our ICP. And then next time you come back to the site, I'm going to attract this, you know, get you to engage with this other piece of content, but I need like two more pieces of information. So like ungated to slightly gated to a thoughtful strategy of consumption that translates equally all the way. You know, the, one of the things that I love about my responsibility at Ruby and working with these amazing teams is everybody from sales to marketing to partnerships and revenue operations and customer success and support. Everybody is part of a single revenue team. We understand our responsibility from known to Ruby all the way through ongoing retention and expansion yeah. and what that journey at, at like, it cannot be this disjointed journey. And that's what traditional yeah. siloed teams tend to do is I've done my job and I'm guilty of it too. Like I was yeah. that marketer before yeah. I was that marketer where I was like, look at this amazing list of leads. I gave you sales. Why can't you get these sales yeah. across the finish line? And it wasn't until I actually like broke it down and flipped to the other side and moved into sales that I was like, oh, these are these are really not great leads. And they are way too early in a buying cycle for us to have tripped them over to you. And we had more work to do with them before they were ready to talk to sales. And um, and so, you know, it is like it is this journey that you need to think about in terms of if you were the buyer and we are consumers, we consume everything and just thinking about um, the decisions that we make that are important decisions, whether it's a car or what bed you're going to commit to sleeping on for the next 10 to 15 years, like you are going to do your research and you're going to want to buy from somebody that gets your needs and, and isn't trying to sell you things that you don't need, but yeah. also is anticipating things that maybe you didn't think about when you were in that buying cycle and saying yeah. most of the folks that that we hear with these type of needs also have these three other needs. Is that you too? And so, you know, that can only be effectively working if you have data that you are capturing through every part of the cycle and you intimately yeah. understand through part of product marketing's lens, who your ICP is, what pain they've articulated and what pain over time do we solve for? And when do we solve for that in their journey with us? And how do we just, I, I constantly evolve and optimize for the outcomes of our customers? not for our revenue. If you solve it for the customers, the revenue follows. Like it is not always about looking at the numbers. Like we talk about this all the time in our team. When we hit our revenue targets, that means that more customers are utilizing our services, which means that they are growing and thriving 
and able to focus on what they do best because they know confidently that we've got things handled for them. And, and so when that, when that trust happens, referrals start to come in. Our referral rate is a 50% win rate. Oh, wow. And it happens within seven days of us getting a referral. A close within seven days of getting a referral of a name from one of our existing customers. You can only do that if people trust you Absolutely. and believe in your mission and your values. And they see this ongoing relationship outside of just this transaction that they've completed with you. So, you, um, I, Jordan, we're clipping this. <laughs> That's a clip right there. That's a clip. Because it's so funny, Rebecca. Like, I literally just texted Jordan this morning and something you said. Um, think of yourself in the buyer's lens. And he asked me a question like, you know, how do we, how do we um, come up with a good content strategy? I'm like, man, we got to keep it simple. Would I buy it? Would I look at this? Would I want this yes. experience? That's yes. it. And that's how you go from it. And you make your optimizations based on what happens from there. And you tweak your strategy accordingly. Like, so I love the fact you're a marketer's marketer because I was a sales guy in the same boat. I used to get the lead list. We get a hundred leads and we would have to turn shit to sugar. I used to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to be looking uh-huh. at the marketing team like, oh, my God, like Shirley does not want to buy right now. She just she just wanted she really just wanted the free iPads. The thing that she was looking at the conference, <laughs> she didn't want to buy. She doesn't know Jared. She doesn't know. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's a lost cause. So I love the fact that you think like that. And I'm and I'm curious because one thing I'm struggling. With, I'm going to be honest with you, Rebecca. Like I'm a marketer's marketer. Like I love marketing, even though I've never been in a marketing capacity role. I've sold so many different facets of marketing that is like, I totally get it because all I've been speaking to is people like yourself throughout my entire career and then learning what their challenges are and then learning what they use and how to come up and how to solve those problems. My problem right now, which is one thing like more than a title, how do I, there's no hybrid roles. There is no such thing as a hybrid role. And I'm having conversations with these companies and it's like, man, I would love to be a part of the unusual business campaign. I would love to come up with some, you know what I mean? With some ideas yeah. like I'm doing it well for myself personally. And then how do I also do it? Because I also love me a good commission check if I, you know. If I put <laughs> so if I could combine the both, man, I would be the happiest person in the world. So I'm curious, what, what advice would you give for me, for somebody like in that road that just loves marketing, but loves sales, but there's no, you know, as you get higher up, then you combine the functions. Yeah. You know what I mean? By like the director level. Yeah, just- I mean... I mean, it's hard because, you know, sales, sales professionals are, are chasing a check and marketers aren't, they're chasing the, um, the reward that we get from knowing that our customers have discovered our solution and are finding value in that. Um, and the, and the sales is the thrill of the hunt. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, I haven't quite encountered anybody that is in a role where they get to do both, but I do think that me having sat on both sides and now in my current role, getting you know intimately involved with customer success and what expansion and retention really looks like and how you know how you really solve for growth is by firing on all cylinders in a really meaningful way. But when I think about um, you know when I made the leap into sales, it was my stubbornness around like, what are we doing wrong in the sales organization that is preventing us? from getting to the value that I know we can deliver for our customers. And on that other side, when I was met with and, 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 and learning from these incredible sales leaders and people on the team was that they get 
marketing. Like it wasn't like the art of the storytelling. It wasn't dismissive and it was more partnership uh, uh, in, in, in how do we really think about giving feedback in a way that isn't the leads suck. I need more leads. The quality isn't what I thought it was. The tight, yeah. like, you know, we were passing titles of interns as leads. And I was like, what, what scoring model do we have in place? that doesn't do negative point association uh, for somebody who's got an intern title that's just doing research. Like that isn't even a thing. Like we yeah. don't, they could be doing it for a school project for all we know, have nothing to do with the brand that they're working for. And yeah. so, you know, I think that, I think that the best salespeople understand storytelling. They understand that the marketing team is there to support them. And when we get it wrong or the needs of the customer are changing, if there isn't this constant feedback loop, then um, then then we're just gonna, and that's what was happening. Like we were continuing to crank out all of this content and we thought, wow, man, we're crushing it. But what we were doing was we were telling a story that was more thought leadership than it was in practical translated business outcomes for the customers we were selling to. And yeah. so, that's where we just needed to get, you know, you know, roll up our sleeves and talk about what is the pitch deck for phase one, stage one, stage two, stage three, yeah. and how do we need support from marketing on some of this, but some of this is work that we've already got in a portfolio of content that we've already produced on our own. And I think, you know, one of the, you know, while, while I don't know that I've encountered this, you know, sales plus marketing role there are folks like me that come from a diverse background of revenue responsibility where I need to put on different hats throughout the day to support my different leaders across the team. And so I do think that there is value potentially in, you know, uh, in leaning across the aisle and actually doing that work and understanding the perspective of the person on the other side of that receiving lens so that, um, so that if you do you know, want to continue to grow in your career, I do believe that there will be more functions where we collapse revenue into a single responsibility because yeah. the alignment and the smooth engagement on how we think about our customers is at, is at the it's at the forefront of all of our consideration versus I did my job, I hit my MQL target, sorry sales, you didn't get it done. That isn't yeah. a, that like, you get to set the scoring that trips it to what becomes an MQL. So like, how is that your core metric that you're accountable for when you can make the scoring model work to achieve your goals like that, that like we should always be thinking as marketers about how we contribute to the revenue of the business. The numbers and the math obviously matters, but there's a lot of different ways that you so, get it done that aren't always about MQLs. So absolutely. And dark social is a perfect example of that. Right. Yes. It's no attribution model of that. Like I make a post, somebody puts it in the Slack, then they go to the website, they end up converting. Like there's no there's so many different things you could do, which actually leads me to another great point. And I would love to get to know. I got a couple of questions about yourself. Unless you are okay. you on a hard stop? I didn't realize it was 30 no, minutes. I'm let's like, go. No, I was I just did a time check, too. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we've been talking for a long time. Yeah, I'm like, oh, what the heck? <laughs> but I'm enjoying this thoroughly. I'm good. Me, too. I could geek out about this. So. You mentioned before about the trust and credibility about the sales and how it basically cuts the, the sales cycle in half, right? Once you build that trust and credibility. So what are your thoughts on personal branding? And what do you think are the best ways to implement it? Because that was my mindset right there when I started. It was no rhyme or reason. It was, look, 
I'm tired of sending these thousand emails. There has to be a better way to connect. Because once I connect like this, I feel like I've got a friend. I've got a person. You'll want to do business with me and all these other things. But when I'm just pitching to connect and not making it, you know, not making it value or sticky, I just hated it. And I just didn't want to have no ulterior motives. I said, man, I'm just going to go on LinkedIn. I'm going to tell you what it was. I was 20 years old, smelling like barbecue ribs at BBQs. I had my first kid. I snuck in the side door in sales. <laughs> and this is what happened. Oh. And then, oh, and my I, gosh. And, like uh you know something to look for something to cheer on right you see my growth you see my progression so what is your thoughts on personal branding because the biggest thing i get all the time is how do you implement it how do you scale it how do i get my employees to get over imposter syndrome all those different things right like so what do you think is the best way to implement this um so there are tons of phenomenal people to follow on LinkedIn that kind of really are examples of how to use LinkedIn for good that also yeah. supports your personal brand. And um, I, I have never um, thought of that channel for me personally as I'm going to post something sensational to try to get it to go viral. Um, those, those things don't matter to me. Um, and, and I also am my authentic self everywhere. And so you are not yeah. going to see this person posting on LinkedIn that my team wouldn't say that's her. Um, and, yeah. and so that means that I'm vulnerable. I'm, I'm getting an emotional in a meeting. If it's something that I'm passionate about, or I'm having a rough day and, I'm, I'm, I'm not hiding it from my team because it is human to have a rough day. And so I think, um, you know, one of the best pieces of advice that I, um, that I heard a few years ago in a, in a leadership session was, what would people say about you if you weren't in the room? Good and bad, like write it down. And if you don't have a list, go ask people, friend, frenemies too, like go ask people what they would say about you. And embrace it or change it and that is your personal branding whether you have a persona online your personal branding is the things that people say when you aren't in the room That's and it. um and so when i when i think about posting on linkedin and i you know earlier this year in january uh, a lot of folks were going through career transitions and yeah. i offered myself up i was like 30 minutes you get 30 minutes of me i'm going to do this every day open up a 30 minute block and I'll do this for the entire month. And that turned into February because people were just finding me. And I didn't, I wasn't doing it for this massive, like, look at me, I'm, I'm helping all of these other people. I'm doing it because they didn't have their hype person that was telling them it is okay to be selfish and get a job that you enjoy getting out of bed every single day for. And that loyalties have evolved in a very massive way throughout the last two and a half years where all of these companies, I mean, we've seen all of the layoffs that the, no. like, I just, I just was reconnected with somebody that I worked with about six years ago. That is a handful of weeks into their new job and they got laid off. And I'm like, how, how do you do that as a leader? Like it, it, it hurts my heart. And I'm just like, uh, I feel a responsibility because of the doors that have been opened to me to pay that forward, but I don't need a megaphone and I don't need credit for that. 
Um, but there are folks where they take their brand very seriously and that brand they've turned into a business for them and no shade at all for folks that have, have done that very successfully, but it has to be authentic because people sniff it out if it isn't. And you have a failing business model. If an online persona that you're presenting actually doesn't match up to people's real life experiences with you, it is a crazy, tiny world, a crazy, crazy tiny world where there are very few people that I don't have a second connection to um, in terms of somebody could back channel me, I could back channel them. And so like you, you're, when you think about your personal brand, make that list. And if there's something on that list that you don't like, change it with intention and have that be something nobody says again. And like, we all have those things that we've heard about us in our earlier days. And you're just like, oh, that was awful of me. Yeah. Like, we still have those moments where we're like, I'm not my best self right now. But owning it, acknowledging it, being That's open it. to feedback is how we're always growing. And in this constant change, you know, state of like, I want to change for the better. Um, and so yeah. when I think about how to represent that online, you know, social media has, you know, just through its natural Instagram and TikTok allowed you to mask who you really authentically are. And that doesn't last long. It just doesn't. So my best advice is be yourself, but be your best self. And when you're not, own it and make changes. Like it, it feels so simple, but it is actually really hard to do. Like it really it, is. It's hard. It really so. is. I, I, I kid you not. When I first started, I told one of my mentors, I'm like, man, I feel like I'm being authentic, but I'm not being authentic on LinkedIn. It's like, I'm, I'm, I wanted to be myself. I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to tell my story. He's like, no, don't do it, Jay. No, don't do it. And I did it. And then it became the most viral thing that I did. And like you said, it wasn't because I wanted to go viral at first. It started to, I was like, look, I'm a part of an agency nobody knows. Um, like, we do have some notoriety in the very niche market, which is the SEO space. But I want to connect with people like that's that market is people 20 years that have been in SEO. What can I tell them that they don't know already? So how can I help them or make them gravitate to me? And it's just about being myself, being open, laughing, joking. You see me smile. You see me in my rough times. If I make a mistake, I say it. I had a, a death in the family. I'm hurt by it. Like LinkedIn is my personal journey and my diary. And that's how yeah. I look at it. And then just people follow it across. And look what's happened, how we got connected. It was through LinkedIn. It was yep. literally through LinkedIn where in shout to Lara, so much love for you. Um, like literally just hit me up. I was like, I, JT, I like, I love your stuff. Like, I don't know you. I don't know, but this is what's up. And let's just talk. And like and that relationship grew. So that's what it's about. I've taken so many calls late nights, seven o'clock, eight o'clock. I've taken calls from personal brand people that's like, man, I just want to start. And now they got more followers than me. They're like 30, 40, 50,000. I'm like, <laughs> what, did, what didn't I do? <laughs> But I love those dudes. And like, that's what make, means something to me. Like, if I can help somebody just change the trajectory of their career, if I can make them change their mindset a little bit or anything. I've had people from Germany, um, Africa, France. And I'm like, man, I'm just Jared from the Bronx. I'm just, I'm yeah. just me. I'm just the dad. I'm this, that. I've got so much going on. And you don't realize who's your, who you're impacting or affecting until they say it. And that's what it's really about. And then the love comes will be reciprocated always. People are like, how yeah. you got all this following? Because I take the calls at seven o'clock. I take the calls at eight. I'm going to get coffee. I'm going to get a beer at five. I'm doing this thing. And that's the people you see me who like are engaging my stuff. I know them. I got yep. love for them. <laughs> you know, the people who are cheering for me. So that's that's what it's about. And it translates to business, guys. So if you're on if you're on the fence about LinkedIn, there's a lot of valuable and personal branding. Because in two, three years from now, that's where they're going to look at. Where are they going to go? 
Your resume is going to be kind of obsolete. It's going to be your recommendations. It's going to be the content that you're posting. It's going to be what other value can you provide outside of the sales function, right? Are you going to get these impressions to share the content that we're investing in? Are you going to get yep. buyers to really like who we are? Are you going to create more brand affinity? Like all those things are going to matter in yep. the sales process. And if you're up against somebody like me or anybody else who has those relationships, you're going to have a tough night unless you have a kick-ass product. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I whole I wholeheartedly agree and the only like add-on that I would I would make to that is that um you know once you find something that works like don't keep it a big secret and 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 make sure that you are paying it forward in massive ways to other people because those people that you leave a tiny impression on we have a new member of our team that worked as an intern at my last organization when I, you know, five years ago, and he just joined the team a few months ago and, you know, you know, worked with, you know, a member of my team. So, you know, uh, didn't work with him on a daily basis, but, um, you know, we, we had great invested conversations. And when uh, the opportunity came for him to explore some opportunities at Ruby, he asked for my time to learn about the company and about the culture that I've built with the team before considering applying and always make time for things like that. And because somebody made time for me and you never know what door will be opened from a relationship from many years ago that if you didn't put in the work, doesn't matter. Your name will never be remembered if you don't put in that work with them. So I, I can't even count the number of people that I've worked with at multiple companies. Like it is um, both with people pulling me along and me pulling people along because when you find people that um, align on values, they're 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 very very special in terms of how you continue to find success at organizations. So that that you, you hit the nail on the head. But I think the problem is, and like the problem, I, I always say this all the time. I post it. Don't hoard information. But the problem is, people get stuck up in the word value, and it's so subjective. And that's why they don't create content. Yeah. If you've been in sales for twenty years, right, like. Obviously, if I've been in sales 20 years, what you say may not be as valuable, but to the person who just stepped in his first role and it's kind of like, what the heck am I doing? That's gold. So don't think about that. So they won't share it because like well, nobody's going to care. No, I don't care if one person cares. Give it out. Give it out. And you'll know who you can help. So like you nailed that. And I only have yeah. two, two questions for you, Rebecca, because like I don't okay. want to keep you too long. I know. But like, how do you deal with work life balance? So you're a mom, you're, you're a wife, you know, you have a great family. Like, how do you balance the responsibility of running an organization like Ruby and being, you know, responsible for the revenue function. Like I have a quota and sometimes I can't go to sleep. So I can imagine how it feels. So please tell me what is your yeah. secret balance both? I, I mean, I wish, I wish I had, I wish I'd figured it out. I, you know, based on any given day of the week, I feel great or like I'm failing at balancing all the things. I have a six and a seven year old. And um, I used to commute downtown every day before I joined Ruby. I used to be in the car for three plus hours a day. And I would kisses out the door in the morning and cuddles before bed. And that was my life. And when I joined Ruby, I fully expected to be in Portland all the time. There was a corporate apartment that I had moved clothes and toothbrushes into that I was um, spending, you know, expecting to spend two to three weeks a, a, out of the month there. But then I was like, but the time that I'm home, I won't have a commute. I'll be present all of the time. So like I had mentally prepared that my kids were going to get snippets of me and I would make the most of the time that we had together. Um, 
but uh, but all that changed. I maybe have been to you know traveled maybe four or five times this year, and it's the ninth month of the year, and I do everything wow. from Chicago, and I get to walk them to school every day, mostly because. Um, my PT folks are still kind of starting their day when I'm walking the kids to school, but I never envisioned my life and I create the space for that. And it's a priority. We do that in the mornings until snow hits Chicago and I can't do that anymore. But, um, but then, you know, I, I sometimes am working through dinner, but then on the weekends we are dedicated together and that is the time. And I also have a great partner in this. I couldn't do any of this without my, my husband when, you know, my kids are outside my door and I'm still on a work call late at night saying, you know, mommy's working for the family, you know, like, look at this great role model that you have. And, you know, shout out to my, my husband, Sean, that I couldn't do any of this if I didn't, if I didn't have him being my top cheerleader and making sure that, um, a, I eat because sometimes I'm in here late and he's like, do you want me to make you a plate? Cause you, you missed dinner. Um, but but also, like, we, we prioritize family time at the end of the night. We do family circle together. We read books together. And then I pick up work if I need to after they go to bed. And so um, I'm still sleeping, sometimes better than others. Um, but it, you know, it does, it, does, it does ebb and flow. And you, you know, tip to one side, and then you have to reel yourself back into the other side. Um, but it can be done. I, I, I love the honesty in your answer, though. <laughs> like you're like, I don't want some Tuesday might be not as good as Monday or whatever. It, it's <laughs> and that's how some days I feel like I'm doing. I'm super dad. I'm like, I just work 12 hours. I got a baby here. I just cook dinner. Chicken cutlets are going. Everything. <laughs> and then you, and you sit down and you're like, did I really do it? Like, I still feel like crappy. I don't know why. But that uh, I love the honesty in that answer. And I do want to bring up one thing, and I hope you don't mind talking about this, because, like, um, you know, you surviving cancer. And I have a lot of family members who have passed away from cancer. I have some that currently have it right now. And, like, I would love for you to kind of tell us where you were in that space. And what was your initial reaction? Because I would love to know, how did you get that spirit to just say, man, I'm going to beat this, and you beat yeah. it, and the park. So I would love to, to hear that story if you don't mind sharing with us. I, I, I would absolutely love to share. Actually, it's 15 years this month that I re received my diagnosis. Um, I had been sick for a while, about seven months. I was constantly going to my doctor and she unfortunately just wasn't taking me seriously. I was a 30 year old. She kept saying I had sinus infections and, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I was, I was overexerting myself and doing certain activities and, um, just wasn't taking it seriously that something could potentially have been more, you know, more wrong with me. And so I wound up in an emergency room where um, they, you know, did a handful of tests, transferred me to another hospital. I was like, oh, called it pneumonia at first because you can't make a diagnosis based on imaging. You actually need biopsies. Yeah. And so yeah. I would, you know, hire every doctor that I had, start over with a brand new team of folks. My father had undergone cancer um, about three years before my diagnosis. So, and my grandparents had cancer. Like I, I just had been around it so much that, you know, my very pragmatic brain came into play and I got a yeah. binder and I started printing out, okay, so these are my appointments and these are my test results and what are we doing next? And, you know, the whole chemo, lost my hair, actually shaved it um, before I lost it. Cause I wanted to be in control of making those type of decisions for, you know, for my, my journey, radiation, um, you know, got to the other side of it, had a still an active PET scan. They were like, 
We don't know if this is going to end up in bone marrow transplant or not, but we have to wait three months and let the radiation get out of your scans. So go live your life for three months. And um, and in that three months, I was like, well, I've got, I've got, I've got nothing to do other than work. And by the way, I worked the entire time. That was probably the wow. best mental um, stability that I had. Um, was working for an incredibly supportive team and um, and CEO who happens to be the CEO I get to work with every day at Ruby. Um, who had such compassion and said, we're going to figure this out together. And what do you need? And like, that was how this, you know, this, this long journey of me eventually coming full circle and working with her again started because at a very early age, when I was at my lowest point, she, um, she found such compassion and grace to support me, but I went through everything. Um, and then I, and then I had to wait. And so I was like, well, I'm going to fundraise because somebody before me invested dollars that got to a treatment that potentially saved my life. And so I so, started fundraising and have never stopped. And so I would eventually get an all clear. Um, this March will be my official 15 years in remission. And uh, I never have lost sight of that this is not the outcome for a lot of cancer survivors. And so I, I do what I can in, in the way that I um, mentor recently diagnosed folks with similar cancers to mine. I, um, I'm still fundraising. I sit on the local American Cancer Society here in town. I do a carnival every year in my community. This wow. year tipped me to $100,000 in contributions since I started fundraising. It was a big milestone that I wanted to hit. But um, I, I believe that uh, I, I needed to embrace what was in front of me? My my friends were getting married and having children, and I was, I was fighting for my life. It was a very, it was a very crazy time. But that whole experience humbled me to a place where, it you know, it's how I have empathy for strangers I've never met. It's how I can cry at a commercial with like no, like what? How, how like thirty seconds and it can get me, and my husband will make fun of me, and I'm like. I, I just have this deep empathy and compassion for others because I, I at my lowest point found people that brought me back up and on the other side of this, all of my dreams came true. And so how do I not have to bear that responsibility to make sure that that dynamic changes for others? And so, um, so that's my journey. I, I love it. And that hit me to the core. I don't know if you can see it. Like I'm sitting there getting Terry eyed. Oh. I just it. like, like, I love this story. Oh. And I love your spirit. So like, there's a few things that you said, like, I'm gonna cut my hair off. I'm gonna be in charge of that. you like, you had family who's had it. You could have easily just said, this is it for me. Like, this yeah. is it. And, and so I know a lot of people that do do that. Like, I couldn't imagine what that was like. And I know, especially yeah. where I'm at, like, I couldn't imagine. So shout outs to you, kudos to you. I'm so glad that you got over it. Thank you for sharing your story. Cause that, that's nothing but strength, you know? And then that yeah. you got, I'm so happy that we're able to have this conversation and I hope mm. you know somebody does hear this and be like, you know what? It's not the end. Yeah. You fight. You keep fighting. That's all we can do. That's all we can do. And please send me the link too for the for the um the, the charity. So every time wow. I post a link, a clip or something like that, let's get it in there. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So no, well this sharing. has been so much fun. Um Absolutely. I uh I'm sure you can all tell them I'm an open book if 
um, you're watching this and you need a hype person, you need somebody to help you figure out what your next career move might be, um, hit me up like that. Um, yeah. That's how I that's how I fill my cup and um, and find kind of joy. I, I, I talked to this woman back in January and she was like, I don't know if I'm going to I'm going to find the courage. And I saw her LinkedIn post about a new job like a month ago. And I was like, what? You did it. Oh, my God. I'm so, I am so proud of you. I've never met her. We had two conversations in a resume that that I reviewed for her. And that was it. And I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm now here, like whatever you need the rest of your career. I'm here to um, to be that voice when somebody else, including yourself, is saying you shouldn't do it and go for it. So that's it. That's hit what me up. That's what it's all about. Please hit up Rebecca. Like she's a great, you guys see it. I don't have to tell you, you guys see it. Mm. So like, you know, I, I'm so glad that you took time out your day to share your story. Like I'm thoroughly moved. I'm glad we had this conversation. You always have an invite here if you want to come back. Oh gosh, I feel like we could talk for hours. Um, I, but thank I, you so I, much I, for having me. This was a blast. So. Absolutely. So thank you for everybody watching. I know I saw some comments. Shout out to Holly. Shout out to everybody who's on the check-in. Thank you guys, you know, for still supporting everything we do. We've got 50 downloads for the season so far. Like, it's so much work to be a full-time dad, do this, and full-time work and do all these things. But, like, I, the, the energy I get from these conversations mean everything and the support and love that you guys give me, like, it really, it really helps me, guys. So thank you, guys. I love you guys. Next week, we got a great episode. We got Eric Toda on, who's actually the global social media strategist at Meta and doing a lot of crazy stuff with the Metaverse. So I'm all Web 3.0. I want to know all that stuff. I need to know. So, so we're going we're gonna to get it in. So thank you again, guys. We'll see you next week. And Rebecca, much love again. And thank you for thank tuning you. in for another great episode of More Than the Title. See you guys next week. What you know about me? Seeing it all. Heard it all. Oh, what you know about me?